everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Skeptically Inclined Science Podcast. We're on episode 29. I'm your co-host, Evan. And you I'm don't know who you are. I spaced out. I spaced out. It's fine. So focused on his main story today. <laughs> on today's episode, what are you going to talk to us about, Tom? Uh, I'm going to talk about biopsies, uh, tissue biopsies, liquid biopsies in the context of cancer. Okay. <laughs> I'm curious where it's going to go. Just an overview about, you know, why do we use biopsies and why, um, why they are not, um, what they need to be complemented with the liquid biopsies and uh, just some studies about how they uh, perform one against the other. Okay. That's yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And today I'm just going to have, uh, I'm just going to mention some uh, stories that happened recently new news headlines so we can get into them when i Mm -hmm. get to that segment um and yeah before we jump in how are you tom how is it all going good over in the uh, netherlands how's this thing how's the how's the first week of uh lockdown been yeah it's uh well riots happened oh right yeah yeah not where you were though well now i'm not sure (laughs) i think maybe something has happened in Nijmegen, but definitely in rotterdam on friday night and then in the hague on Saturday night. Yeah. And in Rotterdam, I think three people were shot by police and they are in the hospital. Yeah. Someone died, uh, did they? I don't know that. I don't know. And I haven't heard that. I know 51 people were al- arrested, I think, in Rotterdam. Uh, some things were set on fire. Uh, in The Hague, there was also confrontation with the police and they had to use uh, water cannons yeah. and stuff like that. And it's all to do with the reintroduction of the lockdown due to the increased cases yeah but like sing- things are still open till seven eight oh eight so like you yeah can, but like then you have to go home early yeah it's you know it's the bars and restaurants that are affected obviously the grocery shops are open a bit longer but it's again there is this necessity of wearing masks inside the shops as well as in the side inside the hospital back, to be honest what I was reading from the newspaper reports, it is said that uh, it has been the last four days has been the worst so far in the Netherlands in terms of positive cases. I think there was a total of 23,680 cases reported on Thursday. Yeah. And uh, there is, the, there is a, a just significant rises in the number of uh, positive people detected and uh, yeah and it's just they now they thinking that here in the in the netherlands there is like 75 percent vaccination rate and it's just it's just not big and not good enough they're supposed yeah. to be closer to these rates that are, are in italy or in spain yeah and it's just people were allowed to socialize and and this happened and obviously it's really frustrating that we're back back to square one but i don't know can i ask you a question yeah like, do you think that this is the responses to this infection, to this disease, are the correct responses throughout the time? Or do you think that they just rely on these lockdowns because the governments just fail to come up with anything better? And this is just like, okay, well, lockdown worked and just do the lockdown again. I think it's just because they need to cut um, transmission rates. And I think it seems to be the only way they can really come up with of of doing that like to yeah i just it's a year and nine months and i just don't i just don't think i just don't think that lockdown is 
the best that they I just think they should do better but what do you think they should do well that's the re- that's that's why I'm not in the I government they all I don't obviously we haven't come up with a better solution we've seen like the only other way you can deal with this is you completely like uh was it the one COVID policy like in New Zealand and stuff where you completely limit who you let in and and now that's even that's failing but that's preposterous to entering lockdown every christmas yeah i know but well it's just something we're gonna have to get used to i, I think, just don't think it's something we, we have to get used to i know yeah it's not ideal but like there's not really we we don't seem to have a way of um stopping the transmission and stopping people meeting and that's the only way we can really seem to do that um I, it's going to become I, less and less effective i know it definitely but like i don't think we're s- much as I mean, i've been compliant for a, for the entire time and i'm still compliant and it's just frustrating i just don't think they do good enough job yeah on trying to control this i just don't think that reliance on lockdown is the go-to standard of, of dealing with this i just don't think either just just put a pet just put a foot to the pedal and just close down everything once and for all for a year or something and then just do something but the thing is is like even if you do that it's still gonna come back like then do these racist uh things where you exclude not racist discriminate (laughs) discriminatory things when you exclude people just do something better because like it's not fair for you it's not fair for to to pay this price well like look we just have to like what what if it was a war or something that you'd have to like sit around for or wait for like three years like i understand like i'm not saying i know i can get oh so your main point is that basically you're being disproportionately affected then like yeah and just the government you're like following the good enough job i know but like people at the same time i do think uh from what i've heard like people don't want to take any responsibility at all it's like the government has to tell them exactly what to do or like enforce what has to be done who doesn't want to take responsibility people People. some people don't want it like they they um they think that they should be allowed to do what they want and i think the whole thing is if you don't want the government to like do these lockdowns you kind of need people to buy into their what they're saying like let me meet less people don't go out when you're sick and people will still do still do that like they'll go out every day of the week meet different people every day and it's like these are the type of people that are really the ones that are um causing the problems i think and it's like if these were the, if you could identify and get these people to like actually follow the rules properly then maybe we wouldn't need to be in this situation but like i do think it's not like people like you and me who are actually don't go out every day like limit our contacts and stuff like that it's the pe- other people that who are her um not really following the rules that's the that's the issue and it's like when they don't buy into it then it was really hard to get a control on it um yeah i don't know it's just with every day i'm getting a little bit more fed up and i'm i think I everyone know. is in the same position definitely and it, like it's the same here everyone just like we've kind of went into a smaller lockdown like night everything has just shot at 12 like in the context to what you have it's not as bad but i think it will with the most probably will enforce more and it's like yeah i think people all say like that <clears throat> people are saying that like we've done everything we've been asked but with the vaccines and stuff but i do think we still need to follow the rules and be like, like a lot of people are like oh, um and, and nothing's changed why should we sh- we i just want to go back to the way things were 
and I'm like we can't do that we have to mm. like try and restrict our lives and and but we realize we're in a pandemic just do things like I'm not saying don't do anything I'm just saying do things within limitations like try and not go out every night yeah I meet think different that people argue- every day like that's just the issue and I'm just like yeah um but like how many pe- how many new people can one person like you know you just, it just be, it's crazy like one person meets one person who's positive can meet five people that and then it's, it's just exponential from there like that's how it yeah i just don't know i'm just kind of i just don't agree yeah with uh this i just don't think the governments are making good enough effort at it they uh they they i yeah. still think we're nearly at the once we can get over this hump and get these anti the COVID uh, drugs out, yeah, but like we were saying on. the same thing last summer that they're like, oh yeah, the end of it, and uh, we weren't. Yeah, I know, but I don't think they realized how um, this Delta variant really changed things with how transmissible it is, and as well how yeah, many people were getting sick. Like they thought we would only need like seventy percent, but it's like the these people who don't get vaccinated are such a high risk of getting hospitalized that that like that's the issue it's it's crazy like you would think 90 percent, which we have here in ireland that you would nearly be um like 90 percent of adults that you'd be okay but like yeah it's, it's and just, uh, do you know what there's it's so many breakthroughs that like when when there's so many of the vaccinated and then like it, i think as well it's just because when you do go into hospital with it it's you're in there for so long like it's like two weeks minimum and that like just delay like really st- lowers the service down so like when there's high percentage of unvaccinated getting going being hospitalized and then there's a few more of vaccinated then it just kind yeah. of has issues with the health service Maybe yeah. I also I also have issues with like people throwing these uh, statistics left, right, and center. Like ninety percent this, seventy percent that. Like, what does this even mean at this point? Like, you know. Well, all I can say is that people who are unvaccinated are disproportionately in the ICU way more than vaccinated. So, people always like to say, "Oh, look, there's way more vaccinated in the hospitals." But like, if you actually looked at the the percentage rates, like there's only like ten percent unvaccinated in Ireland roughly and that they're like 50 percent of the people in the icus so like they're way more disproportionately represented in the icus i'll tell you i'll tell you one thing i understand everything you say and i'm just a little bit fed up with it i know yeah it's even the next year christmas time next year and we are in the same situation then i just can't see this any other way than just the government trying to control the populace it's like if we're in the same situation in 12 months from now on i just we are straight up being controlled by the government and that's that's that like but why why would they want to control us because power corrupts it doesn't have to be end goal to it power for the sake of power control for the sake of control no i don't believe it i don't i will in 12 months It's literally they have no other way around this. They don't want to do it. I no, think. they do have a way. What they can do is introduce uh, like a martial law, lock down the place. They could have done it in the fir- in the at the start of it, and not being afraid of offending few people would you know that they're gonna say we don't we don't have freedom. Lock the place down, no, shoot it down I don't completely, understand because and like, that's it. 
I was looking when we when in Ireland anyways in that first lockdown the very first we actually completely eradicated COVID so we didn't need to like what are you on about martial law when we eradicated it already in the first wave and then we thought we would have got on top on top of it but there was a new variant strain that came in and that caused that started circulating and then yeah we never really got control since then martial law is always fixes everything yeah well maybe <laughs> even communism <laughs> in your old in my old motherland yeah yeah anyways look I think actually but actually while we're talking about it um and i talked about this in my main story before but a third covid vaccine uh a third covid19 vaccine dose provides significant increased protection against symptomatic disease in those age 50 and over irrespective of which vaccine they have initially received this was found in the uk mm-hmm. and they found that at least 20 weeks after being fully vaccinated with the two doses AstraZeneca vaccine effectiveness against symptomatic disease was 44.1%, while Pfizer was 62.5%. But two weeks after receiving the booster dose, uh, protection was had increased to 93.1% in those who initially had two doses of Astra- AstraZeneca and 94% in those who had Pfizer. So it showed why it's critical to come forward for your booster as soon as you're eligible. And it's the first real evidence of effectiveness of the booster in the UK um yeah and it's also impressive considering the amount of people who haven't had a booster but have had infection and had so they might have had infection after they got vaccinated so then they might have even additional protection so it's a good sign that shows like yeah it does work these boosters um i'm still like the whole when i talked about this in my main story before like what do you think like do you think in hindsight would having to get a three dose vaccine would that be should that have been approved <laughs> in the first place well, I suppose it did. Well, they I, didn't I, know that the immunity is gonna drop so significantly, didn't they? Well, I think actually, I, suppose, so I think that's like I shouldn't. Maybe I'm saying it wrong because the vaccines have still been really effective, and that they've um and, and protecting against hospitalization. I think we would be in a terrible position if we didn't have the vaccine. So I suppose, and that's the situation. Maybe it is justified, but I suppose the fact that it doesn't protect against symptoms. They didn't realize that. I don't think they really assessed for that in their trials. So I think that was not. I mean, great. if you ha- if you have to face them using, there was a lot of things that they didn't look into that comes in comes into the surface now with this vaccine. Yeah, I'm not saying that the vaccine is not good. It's just you know once you put it out there, you start finding out things that you can't find out with the limited number of people in your trial. Mm. And given enough time, you're also gonna find out more things. So this is just a consequence of what they have been finding out. Nothing, nothing really surprising about that, really. If you think about it, yeah. the more you learn, the the more you're able to adjust or tailor the 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 care or the treatment moving forward. Yeah. So, am I surprised? No, not really. But Will I suppose I it's good. It's a good sign the boosters are working, and I'm just hoping that the boosters at least last us to get out of uh, until we get out of winter, and then hopefully uh, we'll be more outdoors limited transmission and maybe we'll have a longer immunity and we'll have yeah, the drugs to use if people do have to go get hospitalized so i'd say comes next year christmas there's gonna be a fourth dose and then it's gonna be a fifth yeah but it's sixth. gonna be just like an, an, a routine like flu vaccine i think at that stage and you're like okay well yeah but that's the thing do you have you taken a flu vaccine this year yeah 
Okay, I thought you were gonna say no. I did take, I did, I did have it as well. But like, if it's gonna be like the vaccine flu, how many people do you know that just are never bothered taking the flu vaccine? Well, I think more, maybe more now, more than because I don't know if I, I didn't really usually get the vaccine before COVID came, and then I was like, okay, now yeah, I, I realize the importance of it. So, I think people maybe now will realize, okay, this is the importance of it. We need to do it to stop. I think, I think you give so much credit to people i don't think they're gonna okay. i think given a year or two they're gonna be like forget about well, vaccine no it's not important i'm not gonna do it well if so if hospitalizations are as high as they are now then i'm sure they'll they'll want to mm, i don't we'll see but for we'll now see. it's a good thing that the the third vax the third dose is coming out uh we clearly clearly need it yeah and uh yeah just for now comply Next year, this time, we'll see. Maybe we won't comply anymore. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Um, I don't follow your laws. Your laws apply <laughs> to me. Here, There's a that? different universe inside that head. Yeah, and then the other thing was so to follow on from you did the COP twenty six. So it finished there. Uh, I think last week, whenever this comes out, mm-hmm. um, and I think. I said, reviewing what happened afterwards i have to say cup 26 was a failure it will stop really <laughs> um yeah the pledges fall ca- catastrophically short of the commitments needed to keep the world's warming this side of a, the all-important 1.5 degrees um and climate action tracker estimate that cop 26 has left us on course for 2.4 degrees and if we further backslide on these commitments, then four degrees is not unthinkable, which would be severely catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And like it's failed for the same predictable reasons as ever, uh, which is global. One of them is being global blinkmanship. So it's like everyone knows that time is running out and tackling climate change involves pain, like lots of pain uh, and that we need to change ways of life. But if others move first, you mm-hmm. get to enjoy the status quo for longer. And if nobody else blinks, why would we be the only fool blinking as the planet goes off the cliff? Uh, so, and then, then this leads to the other problem. There's like a lack of global governance. Problems of the global common can only be addressed globally, but there's no, there is the an absence of any effective international architecture, which means yeah. that nations are essentially rivalrous. And we have already seen this with like PPE for COVID and then as well for the vaccine distribution. Like people are just, we don't really have anyone to manage and control countries. Because the UN is the closest we have, but there's no enforcement of any any commitments there at all. Yeah. So you're um, basically talking about some sort of global government. Well, like someone to like manage the governments globally and trying to hold them to commitments and we yeah. don't really have that like they can like i could you could commit and then not follow through we have also externalities a cost that goes unpaid by producers or consumers so for example consider water companies dumping sewage into our waterways it's obviously cheaper for the companies to dump it than to treat it and cheaper for customers too for the cost will be passed on to them otherwise but the cost is these foul waterways uh, and the problem is this goes on without being accountable unless the fine works out to be more expensive than actually treating the water. So at the moment, it's cheaper to just use the fossil fuels. The only, and It's cheaper for the, the consumer and the pro- producer. Mm. But the cost is that the 
the environment is being destroyed like we're are destroying our um glo- we're increasing the global warming uh in the in the world right when no one the cost is like no one's being held accountable for this and yeah like everyone always goes on about like oh if we can remove carbon from the atmosphere at scale um then polluters be like oh then we could still burn fossil fuels we wouldn't need to stop but like we and that science could ultimately find a way of doing this but like we haven't been able to effectively and affordably carbon capture carbon from the atmosphere and it's not Mm. there so we can't really be like dependent on something from the future that doesn't exist yet yeah it's like when I sometimes say when I have to do something, I was like, I leave that to the future Tom, and then like yeah. future Tom hates me for doing this. Yeah, but so. uh, yeah, and there's no accountability as well. Yeah, and I know you won't like this, but I think one of the things that is causing so many of these challenges is capitalism. Like this system requires constant economic production and distribution to provide for ceaseless consumption to fend endless growth. And like human wants are insatiable. So capitalism yeah. locks us into a state of permanent frustration because we're always trying to like advance and want more. Uh, and we're already hitting the upper limits of our planet's productive capacity. So if I can say something yeah. uh, about the capit- capitalism thing, I'm actually like back and forward on this right now. Yeah. I have like multiple battles inside of my head. <laughs> so... <laughs> Just to put it out there, <clears throat> I'm not anymore like uh, 100% pro capitalism all the time. So just to put it, I've been you've having the, discussions. You've seen the disadvantages of capitalism. Uh, y- yeah, it is, I mean it's horrible. The cop, yeah, the, it's a nice initiative, but it's just there is no ac- accountability. And if you don't meet these requirements, doesn't really nothing really happens to you, doesn't it? It's yeah. just like oh well, it and didn't like, happen. To be honest, I think. the the cops that will come and go from here they're going to be really just seen as a scoreboard monitoring success of environmental action rather than divisive events sorry decisive events in the global response to climate change so yeah it's just it's just uh it's very disappointing um and i just don't i just don't know what's going to happen like we really need to act now it's like yeah again no one really wants to make the first blink and, and when you realize that we actually do have to do something it's probably too late right when like when everyone uniformly yeah. decides like okay we have to do something that means that things have gone so far mm. that there's probably no com- no coming back or there or yeah i'll see what you think of this should we be properly pricing goods to reflect the true cost of the production cycle from raw materials through to disposal and recycling so that prices rises and per capita consumption falls um so basically that we increase taxes that would proportionally uh indicate how much this is costing to affect the the climate um and the global warming um so but does this mean that for example funds would not cost any more thousands of dollars but would drop down to like hundred dollars no well like i think it's just like okay for example like petrol or heat oil heating that should should be way more higher way more expensive than it is to reflect how much it costs the environment 
But would you then supplement it with like, let's say solar energy being, installation of solar panels being cheaper then to come, because you can't leave someone without heat. Like Yeah, yeah, that's true. That And that's true. That's another issue is like, okay, so we need to subsidize green energy as well. Um, and I suppose you would want to put then higher prices then on like, meat products. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true as well. Um, but then, yeah, you would just because green energy and green, um, it's it's so expensive, like for like solar panels and all that yeah. kind of stuff. That you would wonder, you would it be worth? It would be a lot, a very very expensive for the government to have to enforce it. But I suppose maybe they could get a lot of that money back from tax. But yeah, I don't know. I think I I this is one I had told John about this and he said carbon taxes would be need to be like something like two thousand percent to even start to affect atmospheric carbon. So carbon taxes aren't really the way forward. Um, and it's fine to say it's a tax to pay for green infrastructure, but misleading to say it'll have any impact on the climate. Because I think that's one of the issues here is like they tax so much the petrol and diesel and just as a green tax, but like we don't get enough initiatives for. The alternative green yeah. uh, energy and it, it's like people like me are like first-time drivers or who can't afford green car electric cars or something like that we have to pay this fine even though we it's not very flair for us so i do get it i get it but i don't think it's going to really change anything because we, we don't, there's not enough um availability of like electric cars or green initiatives that we can really be like okay we can flip switch to this especially when you're like starting out you don't have that much money no you don't disposable money so yeah i do think john was like we need to stop subsidizing oil and coal companies who only exist because of uh, subsidies so yeah it's it's uh we need to really we do need to focus and time to act is now but obviously yeah i don't know man it's uh it's it seems like there's a, a people can point out rightly so a, a lot of things that the global warming can lead to but like a f- a finding solutions seems with every year seems to be more and more tricky yeah you know every every year pass by when you do nothing nothing it just eliminates yet another possibility like you know at some point you're just gonna end up with nothing that actually makes a difference because you can make lots of policies that look good on the paper right and then you have this this kind of um, mirage of doing something but yeah just like you said in reality it doesn't really affect the yeah. doesn't really improve nothing yeah well i won't look as we discussed this last week so i won't go into the yeah. whole thing but i just thought yeah it did fail nothing if not we haven't made bold enough decisions bold enough um agreements Hmm. and on um on what we're going to do so i think again yeah it's it's just not good enough and i don't know what's it's all ultimately cost us in the future that's true that's true um luckily i think my my topic today is rather non-controversial it's, it doesn't have a it doesn't have a good and bad to it it's just this is what it is this is what it is okay yeah so are you ready for it or do you have any no no that was just my to- uh i have uh yeah that was more my news headlines so i won't depress you anymore no 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 you never depress me you're (laughs) always cheering me up to talking you talking to you okay so you might wonder where does this idea of biopsies came from and actually i um 
I went to my f- friend's defense recently. She was defending her PhD, and uh, and that, so she already finished her PhD. And then before she actually start, before she actually defended her PhD, she already started working as a postdoc in a in a different lab in the Netherlands. And she actually works with liquid biopsies, and that's where like I heard about. I've heard it before, but like that's when the topic came to my head, right? Like liquid biopsies. So I just kind of wanted to look at the the advantages of the tissue uh, biopsies, what are the shortcomings compared to the liquid biopsies, what the liquid biopsies can bring into the picture, and then uh, how does the obviously cancer fit into the into the whole picture of. Uh, of diagnosis because I also felt like we we pay so much attention into like coming up with the uh, topics about you know different forms of treatment or clinical trials that show how different drugs perform and stuff like that but this is more focused on like the diagnostic part of uh, screening and cancer detection but like so what I understand mm-hmm. from so you take a biopsy just when you you have like a lump or something like that that you think is cancerous and then you use that to yeah diagnose the cancer is that how yeah 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 so exactly what you said if there is like some sort of a tumor growth whether it's a benign or malignant and if it is accessible then indeed there is a there is a sample taken there could be multiple different biopsies you can excise the entire uh tumor growth and then have it dissected for investigation or maybe you can just only access a part of it and just get a get a small sample and uh, haven't investigated but nevertheless a biopsy is a medical test as i said performed by a surgeon or a qualified person who can take the sample appropriately and the process involves extraction of this uh, sample cells or tissues uh, for examination to determine the presence or extent of the disease so you can use it either for diagnostics or to assess maybe how the treatment is going whether it's progression and 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 stuff like that once the once the sample is extracted, the specimen is then preserved and analyzed for mutations. And this is speci- especially relevant in terms of uh, cancer detection, because uh, you know based on the patient phenotype, uh, together with the uh, with the biopsy, you kind of know what you're looking for, what kind of cancers you might be looking at, and then you can specify your uh, genetic testing to pick up exactly what you're looking for to see whether mm, it is there or not. They wouldn't routinely do that. Uh, I don't think so. No, it'd be only on certain. Like cancers, like leukemia. Well, I remember that I had a mole removed, and it also, and it just uh, went straight into like a diagnostics for processing anyway, because they wanted to analyze whether it was something uh, benign or malignant. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I presume that a good portion of these samples is 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 standard for some sort of uh, pathological workup anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, like, yeah. just to, like you wouldn't do genetic typing on a lot of no, unless there is a unless i think the physicians have uh, requested the tests okay. yeah. i think that's how it works in the in the lab in the hospital labs um but there is there's some challenges as you can imagine with taking a taking a, a, a tissue biopsy and one of this is that tissue uh, might not be uh, preserved in time and uh, tissue necrosis can necrosis can occur and that also affects the the readout and sometimes even if you even if you in time fix fix it with formalin 
there's a there is a chance that the formalin will actually introduce a genetic changes to the DNA and that could give you like some uh, false results. weird results or false positive results if, if that's what could and if that's what can because happen. you have to fix the tissue in formalin you have to fix it in formalin so it's actually so will not degrade right and then you embody it in the wax and then you could very slice uh, very thin slices of that tissue so you can look at the cross section uh, yeah. throughout the whole uh, biopsy so what actually tells us what actually what what things can we look at from a biopsy well of course we have uh, we have the dna in the cells that are taken together with the biopsy so that's one thing but you can also assess non-dna biomarkers such as proteins and rna as well as a metabolic profiles uh, i think this is important because you know uh, proteins, RNA splicings, metabolic profiles—they all have, they all are different in the cancer in cancer cells, you know, and that's mm. where uh, uh, can in cancer cells compared to the normal normal cell, and that's where I wanted to bring like the cancer uh, hallmark hallmarks because uh, there is a lot of them, like you know the angiogenesis, metastasis, unstable genome, uh, resisting cell death, and so on and so on. And some of these processes affect the, the, the metabolism of the, of the uh, cancer biome. And, and then you can pick it up from the biopsy. It can help you to navigate these, uh, these tricky waters of what is happening. So this is a good, this is a good thing for, um, this is a good thing going for the tissue biopsies. So the good, patholo good pathological workup can help to identify the pathology and if early enough, it can help with tailoring the best available treatment. In terms of cancer, this is what you really want, like an early detection and patient-specific tailored treatment. I think we should forget about this uh, one-fits-all thing or like uh, this, this magical bullet treatment. Yeah. Uh, I think we really have to like focus generic, on... Generic yeah. chemotherapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but, that's what the that's what the aim is when you have like a a specific um, workup. Yeah. yeah, sorry, you do a specific yeah. workout up workout, <laughs> a specific workup of the biopsy. So then you know, okay, well, this is like they have this metabolic metabolic that's high. So that means this this treatment should work or this treatment wouldn't work. So yeah, but uh, I don't know how often that happens in reality. I hope it does happen in reality. That you, they but like, that's why you study all of these things so they can be used later, right? Yeah, I just wonder how often they like go super in debt to like do a personalized workup for each patient. Well, uh, that's how I would like to be mm. uh, okay. treated. Yeah, I know. I'm just wondering, <laughs> does it happen in real life? Okay, then I don't know. Maybe we should ask someone who knows better. <laughs> but there is a... So I kind of mentioned already like the benefits of the um, of the tissue biopsy that you know you, you get to look at the dna but also so many other things in it but there is also um certain limitation to to it and one of those is uh cancer heterogeneity so the cancer it doesn't it doesn't behave like a normal tissue so in the in the cancer uh is very chaotic and just because on the one side of the tumor's growth, this cancer has a certain profile, it doesn't mean that when they metastasize to the other body part, it will have exactly the same profile. So a biopsy from the one, uh, one, cent one center might not reflect the entire landscape of the uh, cancer's environment. Yeah. 
So you, you will be in a, in a way limited. Um, so comprehensive characterization of multiple tumor specimens obtained from the same patient illustrated that intratumor heterogeneity exists between different regions in the same tumor. And the tumor heterogeneity also exists between the primary tumor and local or distant recurrences in the same patients. So this is just alliterate what I, I just repeated myself twice, but in the more concise way. Okay. Yeah. And also the complete picture of the tumor is often limited by the tumor accessibility because of the increased rate of clinical complications associated with the invasive procedures. Up to 80% of non-small cell lung cancer patients with advanced disease will only have tissue from small biopsies or cytology, limiting the ability to perform additional tests. And as many as 31% of patients do not have accessible tissue. Yeah, so that's another um, another downside of the tissue biopsy because sometimes you're just not able to access it and, and take a biopsy. So you have to base it off other tests. Yeah, yeah. So as I said, with the with the formalin, uh, formalin fixation can displace high level of C2T or G2E transitions, and it is in the one to twenty five percent allele frequency range, and that potentially leading to false positive results from molecular assays. So that's what you said. And tissue biopsies also increase the cost of patient care for the turnaround time for getting results. Uh, can be sometimes longer than those expected by the physician for patient treatment. So that's obviously never good for the patient. So I still want to uh, emphasize that the tissue biopsies are like needed and necessary, uh, but they do not uh, cover everything and they, they carry their the own limitations. Uh, so that's why people um, start introducing these liquid biopsies. And can you guess what the liquid biopsy is? It's just the liquid from the area, around the area. So it doesn't even have to be from the around the area. It, it, it could be uh, it's most, blood most it's blood sample. So, so we can perform liquid biopsies uh, because there is a cancer derived material circulating in the bloodstream. So just what I said, the yeah. cells do exfoliate certain things. So, so does cancer cells. So apoptotic or necrotic cancer cells release circulating cell-free DNA fragments known as circulating tumor DNA, uh, as well as uh, exosomes, that's which I already mentioned. And these are membrane encapsulated subcellular structures containing proteins, nucleic acids, uh, which are released by, by tumor cells. And last but not least, uh, primary tumor and metast metastatic sites are also able to exfoliate vital cells. That, are, that then enter the bloodstreams and are known as circulating tumor cells. Advancements in techniques such as uh, next, gener next generation sequencing allows for accurate detection of genetic and epigenetic aberrations carried by the circulatory cancer samples. So now I will focus on the uh, CTCs, so the uh, circulating tumor cells. They allows for molecular diagnosis via identification of multiple DNA abnormalities uh, detection of gene fusion transcripts and RNA expression. So this is uh, kind of important things because you can pick up uh, DN uh, abnormalities at the level of the DNA, which is like perhaps uh, base substitutions uh, most often. Detection of gene fusion, so that's more uh, mm, that's a little bit more than just a simple uh, nucleotide switch. But you can you can also look into different gene fusions. 
for example, like translocations, chromosomal translocation can cause uh, gene fusions, you know, like the chromos- chrom- Philadelphia uh, chromosome associated with the leukemias. What's the Philadelphia? You know, the BCL2 uh, ABL gene fusion, I think it's... It's uh, when two chromosomes like detach and reattach, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. When one part of one chromosome detaches and then migrates and aligns itself and fuses to another completely different chromosome. And that just brings two genes together and can give them uh, some function that is dysregulated and, for yeah. example, can cause uh, enhanced proliferation of the cells. So you yeah. have the, all the proliferation without any differentiation. So the uh, CTCs may also cluster either with parental tumor cells, with fibroblasts, leukocytes, endothelial cells, or platelets, forming aggregates with high propensity to seed distant, distant metastasis uh, than single CTC. So this is important because if you can in your blood liquid biopsy, you can pick up, for example, certain number of these circulating tumor cells. You, and if these if these numbers goes over a certain threshold for any given cancer, um, um, for any given cancer, then you know that this patient is in the higher risk of perhaps developing a metastasis, and you okay. can already start uh, looking into possible way, ways of treatment or whatever it's a possible way of 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 stopping this or if it's too late to stop, you can already start preparing how to combat this. Whereas you won't be able to to get that early insight into it when you, I think if you just take a, a tissue biopsy from one from one side. But you should be already treating them for cancer anyways at that stage, that which would yeah, stop but you Yeah, kn- but you know when, when the cancer metastasize, your, like your survival rate uh, just drops very uh, rapidly if yeah. the cancer is, or if cancer is, is already present and is already metastasizing. But if you if you get to detect that prior to the metastasis being formed, so you only oh, yeah. pick pick up these cells circulating. They haven't really left the bloodstream and they haven't really uh, they haven't really attached themselves to any other body pass yeah. body part inside of you. Then you can maybe I I don't really know what are the treatments because I don't work with that. But I don't know if you can maybe increase chemotherapy or i don't know just do something to kind of you know prevent this metastasis from happening yeah uh, i don't know what are the good ways to stop metastasis but i would just think like just trying to shrink the original tumor like that would be the ba- main way perhaps yeah you can also try i don't know to... how else you can stop it metastasizing like when it leaves the, the you tumor. can try to eliminate the the tumor angiogenesis right because if you if you cut the blood supply to the tumor mass and you kind of, yeah. uh, then maybe the, the, the tumor would not have that much access to the bloodstream and won't be able to release these cells. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah. how this do you is all speculations. Yeah. <laughs> and um, what's also tricky about these circulatory uh, tumor cells is that they have the ability to express various different cell markers. It is possible to find uh, in the same blood samples CTCs with the epithelial uh, EMT or cancer stem cells phenotypes. The EMT is the epithelial to the mesenchymal uh, transitions and cancer cells do that actually to be able uh, to metastasize. So first they go to, uh, they do the EMT and then they do the reverse, which is the MET. So mesenchymal to epithelial transition. 
this uh, this var variety in the cancer cells phenotype supports their heterogeneity and at the same time uh, makes it difficult for their purification and analysis. And for this reason, it is necessary to combine different methods to isolate functional heterogeneous CTCs. So what they uh, what they say is um, the primary use of the CTCs in is in prognosis. As I said, in the growing number of tumors, clinical investigators found that the absolute number of CTCs in the 7.5 mL blood sample is significantly associated with uh, prognosis. And it was demonstrated in the metastatic breast cancer that if you have more than five CTCs in 7.5 mL of blood, you have a shorter progression-free survival and overall survival compared with patients with a lower lower count. So only if you detect five CTCs in the 7.5 mL, they can already tell because the studies have been done what is the approximate that that chances perhaps are. your chances are a little bit lower than for someone who has less than five CTCs. And similar results were obtained in patients with prostate cancers in whom the overall survival dropped to 11.5 months, uh, namely one half in the presence of more than five CTCs in the 7.5 mL versus 21.7 months in patients with less than that cutoff value. So it, like, it is quite significant um, yeah. how, how, how much they can judge based on uh, detection of the CTCs. Yeah. CTCs are also useful for diagnosis and could virtually be substituted for tissue biopsy in cases of inaccessible neoplastic sites or unsuccessful sampling. And I think this is really important because there are some tumor masses that maybe cannot be accessed. Um, would uh, cannot be accessed. Yeah, tumor simply biopsy. cannot be accessed. Yeah, for the biopsy and just having the alternative um, of simple blood collection. Uh, I think it's uh, it's really it's really good um, for these people. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and once detected, CTCs are available for the analysis of their genomic and proteomic profiles. So a little bit like the little bit like the tissue biopsies, because you do extract a, a vital cell. So everything is encapsulated in the in the cell: the proteins, the metabolites, the nucleic acids. So it's a pretty a uh, pretty robust and comprehensive uh, source of information. It, it provides information on the presence of druggable mole uh, molecular targets. So you can see uh, maybe there is a herceptin expressed in these cells. So, you, so if, if we're talking about the breast cancer, you know that the, um, the maybe there's HER2 expressed in these cells. Yeah. So you know that the herceptin will work. Yeah. I, go I got the drug confused. Got me so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so these... Although it's 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 hard to pick them up, and it's it, it takes a lot uh, advanced molecular lab techniques to isolate these cells and profile them appropriately. Um, they are very useful. So that's that sums up the CTCs. And then the other thing that I will mention is the circulating tumor DNA. As I said, is a small fraction of the cell-free DNA pool. It represents from 0.1% to 10% of the total cell-free DNA, and it depends on the tumor burden, cancer stage, cellular turnover, and response to the therapy. But from what I understand, using this circulating tumor DNA is much more trickier than the, uh, than the uh, cancerous cells. cells. Yeah, it's just 
because this is the DNA is fragmented and so small and the grander pool of already uh, free circulating DNA because not, yeah. healthy cells also shed DNA into the yeah. uh, into the bloodstream. It's just so tricky to try uh, and identify yeah. it among and exactly and it all comes down to the lack of standardized procedures in terms of sample collection isolation analysis and it's still hard to distinguish free cell dna from circulating tumor dna there has been some work done with it but it's just so early stages um that it's hard to tell but um it would it would seem like it's always easier just to get the the cancer cell and then isolate the dna from that like you do but you know when you collect the the, the blood sample, like you get everything in that blood sample. Potentially you get your circulating cancer cells, you get yeah. your uh, circulating tumor cells, you also get the exosomes. So you, you kind of, if you just focus on the one aspect of it, you limit yourself, you take in one out of three possible well, you options to use. Yeah, uh, if you then, yeah, you the more you're able your... to encompass in your, in your workup diagnosis, the clearer image of the cancer you get, right? Yeah. Um, so there is like some advanced PCR techniques uh, actually to pick up the cancer uh, circulating tumor DNA and they use the likes of digital droplet PCR, um, beaming PCR, which stands for beat, emulsion, amplification and magnetic. There is load, um, the sequencing can be done on these samples, but only the next generation sequencing, the very sensitive and specific method of sequencing. The, I, don't, I don't know how... Like the issue is, is like you have your cancerous DNA and then you have your healthy DNA. That's just like, how do you like distinguish between the two? And then when you distinguish it, then how do you like do further testing on it? Like, how do you separate the two? You have to like separate them out, wouldn't you? You would have to. Uh, maybe you could like hybridize them to some sort of profile and that, you know, will omit the this, the DNA. So they are like the targeted approaches and so you need to like separate approaches. them out yeah. first. For like, I think for the targeted approaches, perhaps you already know what That's, sort of genetic profile you might yeah. be looking at, and you just try to pick it up anything in that sample. Uh, and you know, of course, they, as it was said that they are at such a low level, but through the PCR, you everyone is an expert in the PCR, or at least the uh, <laughs> the real time PCR now. Yeah. But like the, the 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 basis of the PCR is the is that you amplify a very small uh, starting yield of the DNA that yeah, you start yeah. with. So in a, in a way, if you, if you know what you're looking for and that, and that thing is present in you, there is a chance of, ampl you, you can amplify it with a PCR and then once it's amplified, it's much easier to Yeah, but I just like, isn't, if you it. take out a sample, you like, you could have a mixture of different DNAs in there. Yeah. So it's like, okay, how do I identify what belongs to the tumor and what belongs to the, the actual healthy DNA. Yeah, well, that's why you kind of have to preemptively know what you're looking for. Yeah, and then separate out, I think. Yeah, and then separate it out. Like, as I said, there is uh, quite a complicated laboratory workup, and that could be one of the reasons why is it's not really routinely used that much. Why is it only in, in terms of clinical trials being used, which I would get into next. Uh, yeah, it's just the complexity of it is it make, makes you wonder, is it worth the while? Uh, yeah. But I think as we will see, perhaps it is worthwhile. So what are the clinical application of the circulating tumor DNA? First of all, cancer screening. 
so important. Like we, we hear about, you know, the cancer screening for the breast cancers, men for prostate. Um, I think what, what, what other cancers do get screened for is Cervical. bowel cancer, esophagus cancers. Yeah. Uh, Cervical. Very, sorry. Cervical cancer. Cervical cancer. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. Very important. So if you have a chance, yeah, do participate. And if you are in the, in the age risk group also, uh, participate, but clinical applications, the circulating tumor DNA detection in individuals with family history of cancers or belonging to higher risk group can already indicate that this patient need to be monitored closely. However, performing screening tests based on the circulating, circulating tumor DNA in the asymptomatic population could cause overdiagnosis because circulating tumor DNA and cancer related mutations can be detected in healthy volunteers who will never develop a cancer. Um, so that's, that's perhaps one of the limitations of these, of this, uh, of this technique of, oh, of, yeah. or of using the CT DNA, because I think, you know, like cells mutate all the time and, um, you know, that, that damage is either repaired or the cells go onto the apoptosis, but these mutated fragments of DNA can be released into your bloodstream and probably are. And if you do decide to screen, like, let's say just the population of Amsterdam or population of Dublin you're going to pick up a lot of uh, things that would indicate a disease or a condition in the completely normal normal people. So yeah. you do have to have in mind what sort of person is this does this person already belongs to a higher risk group. And if I do detect something does this have a a scientific value? If yeah. this if, if, if does it have a prognostic value? And actually uh, there were trials in Japan that show that it does actually help when, but when you sample the right, the right sample group. Pay, 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 so like data, so it would be people at a certain age group or something like that. Yeah. Age group, you know, fam, a familial history. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure like environmental exposures are also uh, important because this all kind of adds up uh, lifestyle, you know, like smoking or yeah. eating greasy food or whatever. So data uh, from two nationwide screening programs in Japan, for gastrointestinal cancer were compared. So there was this, um, there is one called GI screen in which tumor tissue based next generation sequencing was used to guide clinical trial enrollment for 5,621 patients from 2015 to 2019 and Godzilla, which carried out uh, um, circulating free DNA based next generation sequencing for 1,687 patients beginning in 2018. So circulating free DNA based screening led to statistically significant increase in genotype matched enrollment in clinical trials relative to such enrollment via tumor based screening without compromising treatment efficacy. So it actually does mean that if you have the right sample size, and you have correctly designed uh, including criteria for the trial and correctly designed uh, test of how you're gonna me- uh, how you're gonna assess it then indeed using this uh, circulating free or uh, circulating tumor DNA is useful but you do have to you do have to uh, take few boxes and it's yeah. definitely much more 
user-friendly to take a blood sample than take a biopsy in terms of, you know, uh, gastrointestinal cancer. So uh, there are some, um, I've listed some limitations, but there are definitely some positives to this. And also the quantification of circulating tumor DNA is useful to detect the minimal residual disease as a key. This is one key key area of application. It has been demonstrated that the amount of circulating tumor DNA is proportional to the residual tumor burden after curative intense surgery in gastric, lung and colorectal cancer. I think that's also a very beneficial thing considering how sensitive and specific the lab techniques are getting these days that you can pick up really small amounts of uh, nucleic acid present in the sample and you know being able to kind of monitor someone on how is he how is she or he doing after the after the treatment very closely really allows you to intervene in time if you start picking up uh, maybe an increase in this cancer circulating tumor dna you know like everything is done here in terms of to prepare yourself what's going to be my next step uh, as a for the team who takes care of the patient so the, the more the early you know it's it's really good because once you have the cancer again well that's you've relapsed you know mm. like you back again to, to square one so um there was also the there is also exosomes in it but i kind of left the exosomes out i just because there'll be just you know kind of repetition of the same thing over and over again so i i thought the cancer free uh can cancer no cancer circulating tumor cells and uh, uh circulating tumor dna that's um that's that's already a lot so the question is should we get rid of uh one or the other and I think for now, the answer is still no. Solid tissue biopsies can tell us a lot, um, and as do the liquid, uh, liquid biopsies, and scrupulous investigation to see what techniques benefit the most in what scenario, I think that helps to tailor better decision and treatment and mon- monitoring of the progress. So I don't yeah. think it's the, it's the question of whether I should, we should just do this and abandon this or yeah, vice yeah. versa. It's like, what can what do we have optimized and properly developed and apply for a patient so i'm just kind of want to bring this back into this tailored specific treatment first of all where is the cancer can we access the cancer for the for the biopsy what will the biopsy tell us however what stage of the cancer are we right now what would be the benefits of actually taking a blood sample has the patient already been treated like should we measure the residual minimum disease um values you know these are all of these questions that i'm sure the medical teams are asking themselves but perhaps you know people who just who are not within the 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 cancer world may not be really aware aware of that but there's so many different things that um, can be linked in it is interesting in that you can um how much in detail you can do without even doing the biopsy but yeah i definitely think it is useful to have both i think so yeah it's just uh, um you're not. Yeah, I, I think you could miss something in the biopsy or the liquid biopsy that you'll see in the in the actual physical biopsy. I think you do. They do have to complement each other. I think it's just the monitoring is like super useful for it with the liquid biopsies. Like that's the way of like seeing that, how you get yeah. on with the treatment. I suppose obviously visualization of the if the tumor is shrinking, that that's a good thing as well. But yeah, yeah, like biomarkers is a good. Um, I think you know if you can if you can detect. A risk of metastasis in time 
that's great. And uh, what they showed in Japan with the clinical trials, you know, if, uh, if you if you get the same number of people into the clinical trial using the liquid biopsy as using a tissue biopsy, and at the end of the day, if these these people are gonna get treated, then uh, then sure, I'm sure it's easier to take a blood sample than it is to you know get the biopsy from your gut or, or or something like that. You know, so it's all about kind of honing in and optimizing these techniques. And we already know that these uh, cancer-related uh, components are circulating in the blood. It's just a matter of getting better at detecting them and. Uh, deriving valuable information from it mm. i think that's the that's the key yeah yeah definitely it kind of reminds me a bit of the um the uh i was in the in the newspapers recently about um you know Theranos and their machine and how they <laughs> wanted to detect yeah cancer early using this little machine so you could like from a drop of blood that lady that looked like a uh, steve jobs <laughs> Well, she wanted to be Steve Jobs. Yeah. Um, ah, God save her soul. But like, I don't think, like the show is like, you can't use a one for all test really. It has to be like really tailored. So then it, yeah. it would work. Yeah. Uh, especially, well, cancer yeah, being so um, complex. Yeah. It's just, I, I just, I don't know how often they go into that de- de- detail. Um, I think the, the residual disease monitoring is... It's becoming much, much more common because um, I remember having a lecture from a physician in my master's degree and I did it like a few years ago at this point and they were already talking about it. Um, it is true that the uh, they are not routinely used, these liquid biopsies techniques. As I think you, it's like for certain like leukemias and very complex ones maybe. I just think like in general. Yeah. Um, well, for leukemias you can't really, well, except for the bone marrow sample, right? You can take a biopsy fr- from there. Yeah, but you do rely a lot on on the blood workup for leukemia. Yeah, well, for it is leukemia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was today's episode. Yeah, Tom, you give us a great overview of um, the like liquid biopsies, biopsies, and uh, cancer diagnosis, and like not just only cancer diagnosis, I suppose, is it? Yeah. Well, of of course, like if you have uh, some liver diseases, kidney diseases, and biopsies uh, yeah. help with that. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> it can biopsies in general for disease uh, diagnosis. Yeah. Which is super useful. Um, and yeah, I just give a quick headlines of um, the booster vaccine, uh, COP26. Yeah, that was today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. It was really interesting. Um, interesting discussion. Uh, next time, I think I, ha- I already know what I'm going to talk about. I think you'll, you'll find this interesting. Mm, that okay. I want to... Uh, should we be screen? Should we be sequencing children at birth, all children? Oh, interesting. Oh, would it be useful or not? What are the positives and disadvantages, like pros and cons? Um, yeah. And if you have any questions or any uh, comments about today's episode, feel free to reach out to us. We have uh, our skeptically inclined um, on Instagram and mm-hmm. Twitter at skeptically i, and you can always email us skeptically inclined at gmail dot com. We'd love to hear anything, any weird or wacky papers you heard of, you want us to look at, please let us know. Yes. Uh, and yeah, that was today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it uh, and enjoy the, your rest of your day wherever you are. I hope everyone is slowly getting into the best mood, which is the Christmas mood. Christmas mood, yeah. A little bit too early to play Christmas songs, but soon enough, it is all yeah. allowed. 
so guys we'll be we will be seeing you on the 5th of december next time is when we record i think yeah and uh until then uh enjoy the episode and stay skeptical stay skeptical guys bye bye